This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good morning. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff, as our music is getting quieter and quieter, so I can talk. <laughs> Not that I, anyone ever has trouble hearing me. Anyway, we're here for you, we're here for your pets. So, easiest way to get a hold of me, you're here on live on Instagram, also here on Pet Life Radio, and just ask away. It's so much easier. Come on, try to call your vet. It'll take you a week to get in. If you have an emergency, heaven forbid, it's going to take you a uh, hours and hours in the car waiting to be seen. So this is the best solution ever because uh, we get to talk to you real live time, real time on video. I can see your pet. As I say often, if a picture is worth a thousand words, a video is worth a hundred thousand words. And there's so much I can see just by looking at the pet, whether or not it's a real serious problem or not. So uh, anyway, glad you're here with me. It is uh, not as lovely Sunday morning here in LA as it was last, last week. It was gorgeous. But it's nice. And uh, anyway, so while you're uh, getting the courage to ask me questions, I will start with uh, some of the things that I've done. Oh, my, hold on. Ah, a question already. This one kind of planted, honestly. This is from my sister, Bethany. And uh, it, uh, she was in this week with uh, Chumley, her dog. And anyway, she asked me this question. I said, oh my God, that is a great question for the show. So here she is. Should you wake your dogs up if they're dreaming? Okay. And so... So basically, here's my thing. My feeling is no. It's no different. It's happened to all of us. I remember my labs do it all the time. They're in the dream and their their legs are going, they're running. It's a dream. Let them dream. Which one of us likes to be awakened in the middle of a dream? First of all, how tough is it to get back? You say, you're, I mean, even if you get up for a different reason and you're in the middle of a dream and you say, oh my God, I want to finish. That's a good dream. It's really tough to get back into it. You can think about it. What was it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you try to, can't do that. Why do that to a dog? Let them dream. Let them have fun. They're probably having more fun in their dream than they have with you anyway. So let them enjoy it. For all the times you know, you're saying no to your dog for doing whatever it does, in his dream, he gets to do it. And uh, so the worst thing you want is someone to say, wake up, wake up. So good question. And no, leave him alone. Uh, uh, so here's the, good, the opposite. I always wake my dog up from a dream thinking it's a bad dream. Well, it could be a drabby, a nightmare, maybe. I think, you know, do you want to like wake your kids up in a nightmare? Yes. But, you know, it's so hard. I, I let them be because uh, usually, uh, in fact, that's what Jill Shecky, my other sister, wants chiming in here. I got to get my brother on now, too. But what is it in a nightmare? But how do you know? How do you know if it's a nightmare? And how do you know if it's, a, if it's a, just a bad dream? Do they really have nightmares? I mean, for me, when I see it the most, it's my dog's. And they're running. They're clearly running. Now, are they running because they're at the park chasing a ball or a frisbee? Or are they running away from something? The hippopotamus or the rhinoceros that's chasing them. So I don't know. Or the lion, maybe. So I don't know. But they seem like they're doing fine. Now, ah, another question. This is getting complicated. What if they're running and they have arthritis issues? And so my feeling is that, that let's say they are running in their dream and they have arthritis. First of all, you know, when you think about running, when they're on their side, running, it's almost like there's there's no oppositional forces. So there's nothing to basically stop them. If they're not running with their feet on the ground, they're running on their side. So it's just passive motion. It's the same way 
when you are exercising your dog and you have a and you want to get them to start using their legs so you're moving them and that's okay and then back back to new york yankee she cries in the bad dream if thing is what is crying is it you know what what is it is that a whine of excitement or is it a cry and the problem is here that we are all as we speak, and all these questions coming in, we're all anthropomorphizing, myself as well. And that is we're putting our values and our thoughts into what our dog is doing based on our experiences with dreaming, you know, with the, the screaming and the crying and, and, and the running. Are we running away from something or running to something? We're never going to know. And then even if you do wake them in the dream, are they going to tell you, oh, Dad, what'd you do? I was having the best dream ever. So it's all a guess. But when my dog's doing it, well, first of all, it's usually when he's, he's running, his legs are going, he just seems excited to me, at least my, my take on it, and I, I let him be. If any of you could come up with a way to ask your dogs and see exactly what they want, please share it with us because I think everybody would like to know. I'm not so sure that we're, we're going to ever get the answer. So I guess whatever works for you. Personally, look, I'm usually sleeping as well. So I'm not hearing them, but when I do hear it, see it, I let them be. So what you could do, what you could do is if you want, is pet them gently and see if they you know, wake up. What I don't want to do is shake them because let's say they are in the middle of a good dream and all of a sudden you shake them, you rattle them. Again, anthropomorphizing, how do we feel? So it's a good question. Thank you so much. I'm glad it's brought in so many opinions. That's fantastic. So uh, whatever works, if you do come up with a way to know what happens, I mean, what would really be cool to know is when you, if you do awake them and then all of a sudden you, they go back to sleep and they start doing it again, then maybe it was a, maybe it was a good dream. They want to get back into it. I mean, let's put it this way. If it's a bad dream that we have and we're awakened, do you want to have it again? Do you want to go back to it? Of course not. So if you do go back to it, it's because maybe you're, you're trying to and you want to. So anyway, my two cents for whatever it's worth. But I'm glad it, uh, it aroused so many opinions. So thank you so much. And uh, I direct. <laughs> so Steve, his husband, says, look at my wife started, right? But that's good. No, I like that. More controversial stuff is the best because we're here getting all these opinions and we want to, we want to see what's going on. So uh, I think that's a great idea. All right. Anyway, until we get the next really good question, let me read a, a few things that, that came across my desk during the week that I want to share. Now, if you remember back, it was a couple of weeks ago now, um, there was a, a story, I think it was also on, on the internet about a bear cub walking into like a five, you know, like a, a convenience store and grabbed something and walked out. Well, anyway, this happened at a Lake Tahoe shop and uh, it wandered in in uh, South Lake Tahoe. And basically it was an eight month old orphaned cub and uh, with a number of maladies. And uh, anyway, it was uh, caught. It was taken to the Oakland Zoo. It, the veterinarians at the zoo uh, took care of the uh, cub. And now, apparently, it's doing great. So uh, that's a great story. I love that. All right, next up. Interesting but not surprising is how I label this one. And, uh, okay, almost three quarters of dogs that bit other dogs outside the home were male. Interesting. Now, here's more. The victims of the bites from male dogs were more likely to need medical care than the victims of bites from female dogs. Large dogs accounted for more bites than small dogs. And just 4% of female dogs that bit and less 1% of male dogs were spayed or neutered. That means 
most of the biting dogs, 4%, 96% of the females, and 99% of the males that bite were not spayed or neutered. So that tells you something right there for all of those who have questions about spay neuter. So what the bottom line is, I think that unless you have a really valuable breeding dog and you are a very conscientious, legitimate breeder that really knows when, and also look at this, even really good conscientious breeders, after their dogs that have been bred, breeding, have finished their breeding life, usually six years of age, maybe seven, what do they do? They fix them because there are some still medical issues that can be avoided and prevented by spay-neuter. So why not take advantage of it and do it even though you have a valuable breeding dog, they still want it done at some point. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. Another story from uh, Katie Pooh. Why do some dogs chase light beams or shadows? Should I allow the behavior something gets obsessive? Now, that's a really fine line between, for example, I use this a lot when it comes to exercising cats. How do you get a cat to exercise? First of all, you have indoor-only cats. Cats are not, they don't retrieve. Well, I used to have one that did, but they're not generally retrievers like dogs. So how do you get them to play? Well, cats love to chase moving objects. They're hunters. By nature, they're hunters. And you get that little laser beam or flashlight light, and those cats start going nuts, and they try to chase them. So I do a couple of things. First of all, they're never going to chase it, obviously, because it's just, it's on the wall only. It's not, it's a shadow. All right. It's an image that is not real, a real image. It's just an image on the wall that is moving. So there are, as I said, very good hunters. They follow it. They try to grab it. At some point, you should let them kind of grab it, but give them a treat. Give them a little reward. Now, here you are. I know you're trying to get them to exercise, lose weight, not giving them a treat. But if a small treat, just something that you know gives them, ah, I won. I got it. So that's one thing. Dogs, many dogs do it too. And uh, so if they're doing any kind of shadow, I know sometimes when I wear my watch and a light catches it, a reflection, and I'm not even paying attention to it. And all of a sudden, one of the dogs sees it and starts going after it. You know, how do you stop it? I can't tell you whether to stop it because we don't know really if it gets obsessive to what point, to the point where it's bothering you or somebody else. If they want to chase a shadow and it gives them, they're not they're never going to catch it. So what happens with you, you know, go back to the old studies of mice. If they hit this little lever, but it never, never gave them a reward. They get bored after a while and they'll stop chasing it. They'll stop hitting the lever. If it gave them a reward every time, once they got full, they stop hitting the lever. But if it's random and sometimes it gives them a treat, sometimes it doesn't give them a treat. So they keep guessing about every 10th time, 12th time, third time, whatever it is, it's so random, they get a treat. They'll keep going forever and ever. So it's the same thing here. Maybe if they think they caught it every time, they'll finally stop. And if they never catch it, they're going to finally stop. So anyway, great question, great study. I wish I had an answer, a real answer that I know. I, I don't know if it's been scientifically studied. Now, if they have other signs of obsessive compulsive behavior, all right, almost like OCD in a dog, then yes, there are some behavioral, there's some medications, some things you can do, calming supplements that might help the behavior and see if it does help the behavior. So before we go for a break, there was one more question coming in. My dog was diagnosed with Cushing's disease last month. Is there any anything I guess I can buy on the shelves to help symptoms medication? The medication is expensive. Uh, so I post the blood work every month. So I'm also up either. Um, so it's not up to, I don't know where it would go if it finished. Hold on. 
um, oh, outcome isn't good. Now, not that I know of. The medication for Cushing's, it's, you know, legitimately, uh, the test was done. I prefer the low-dose dexamethasone suppression test. The old-fashioned test was the ACH response test. The ACTH response test is not as, most of the experts put it this way, most of the internists prefer the LDDS, low-dose dexamethasone suppression test to diagnose Cushing's. It doesn't necessarily differentiate between the Cushing's that is coming from the pituitary gland versus the Cushing coming from the adrenal gland. Actually, the real adrenal disease is Cushing's disease. And if it's from the pituitary signaling the adrenal, that's actually technically called Cushing's syndrome. The actual disease is when we have an adrenal tumor that is secreting too much of the cortisol in the body. Now, the treatment, the old treatment was a medication called lysadrin or OPDDD. Lysadrin would actually destroy that zone of the adrenal gland responsible for the secretion of cortisol. The newer medication called Veteral, all right, and um, it's Trilistane, and Veteral is the brand. Uh, that actually was used in Canada before it was even licensed here in the U.S., in fact, my internist that I recommend was getting it from Canada because it really is effective. It works well. Yes, it's expensive. Yes, it's going to be daily forever, most likely. And uh, if you have if you have a really good ultrasonographer who can actually try to identify an adrenal tumor, then a surgery can be done to remove the adrenals. But that also is expensive. So most of the patients that are on meds, I use a veteral, um, are doing very well. Though you diagnosed it with the LDDS, you, a month later after you start the veteral, you do an ACTH response test to see how we're doing as far as the adrenal levels are concerned. And if you're in this range, 1.5 to 9.1, then that's where you want to be. That's on the low end of normal. So I guess I don't know of any naturopathic medication or supplement um, solution to the problem. However, what I would recommend is if you haven't consulted a homeopathic veterinarian, and you can reach out to me. I will give you some names of those that I know here in the LA area. But with homeopathy, oftentimes it can be done virtually on, on like an AirVet platform or even uh, a WhatsApp or, or video, live video chat, Facebook live video. There are ways that we can you can consult with a specialist and not necessarily all they need is the test results and to see the dog talk to you, and they might be able to recommend something that would help. Yeah, again, Caution, however, because of what's called the VCPR, there might be some issues. You might have to, if it's something that is not a medication and you're being recommended a supplement, then that's not really a drug. And you can obviously recommend a certain treatment that's available through anywhere, through a website. If it's a, a certain drug, then you'd have to have the homeopathic veterinarian talk to your veterinarian and the actual, the prescription per se has to come from your veterinarian. Anyway, um, reach out to me if you have any questions about that. I can give you the names of some really, really good homeopath veterinarians. All right. And you're in Staten Island. Oh, well, one of my, actually a, a high school and camp friend of mine, Dr. Jeff Levy, went to Cornell, that school, and is homeopathy. He, that's what he practices. I can sort of maybe get in touch with Jeff. You know, again, we're talking, we're talking a long time ago. I know his sister is also a, uh, a veterinarian, but... I don't know if either of them are still practicing. I think her name was Rachel. But anyway, Jeff Levy, if you can look him up, uh, homeopathy, Jeff Levy, DVM, but he's legit. So uh, again, worth a try. But if you have trouble, always send me a message here on Instagram and I'll help you out. Anyway, we are over my halfway point of the show. We have to break for a commercial break, which we're going to do right now. I'm going to mute myself. I will still talk to you on Instagram. 
And Mark, go ahead and cut us off for a commercial break. And uh, I'll, I'll be listening to you when we can come back. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff. And during the break, I got a really good question from my Instagram live. And it is ways to prevent coprophagia and risks if they're eating our other dog's feces, who is properly vaccinated, etc. So, coprophagy. This is one that many of us can't understand, myself included. I guess it just, for some reason, I have one theory, and it's just my own theory, and it's just from years of practice. And again, it's never 100%, but what I have noticed is female dogs that are coprophagic are usually eating their own feces. And I have one such female dog, disgustingly enough. And male dogs seem to eat other dogs' feces. So- from that, like on a walk, they just they smell it and they pick it up at home. They don't eat their own, they'll eat the others. Here's my theory for what it's worth. It's a theory. And it's, it's just based on nothing scientific, just observational, empirical data. So here it is. Female dogs in the wild, okay, were being hunted. And female dogs that had litters, and of course, mom wanted to protect her litter. We do know that moms would often clean up their, their own puppies excrement and they would lick their behinds clean it up and eat their own so why i think that because there was fear of being eaten attacked right by a predator they wanted to hide the evidence take away the smell how do you do that you eliminate the elimination you take it away by eating it male dogs however they they had a different plan they would mark a territory with urine and feces and therefore how do we keep their mark there and be the, the mark? They would eat other dogs' poop in the area. So to eliminate them from thinking, oh, it's my territory, I'm the king. So that's what I've noticed. Now, danger from disease, uh, like vaccine diseases, I don't think there's a threat. Parasitic diseases, there's a huge threat. So when we have dogs that are going to daycare and all of a sudden they start getting vomiting and diarrhea, picking up Giardia, for example, or other parasites, that came from the feces of other dogs. 
So if you have an environment, a doggy daycare environment that's not being cleaned regularly, and dogs are having the opportunity to click, clean, and eat the poop of other dogs, that is probably how they're getting disease. So how do we stop it? So a couple of ways that I recommend. First of all, there is a product out there called Forbid. It's a hydrolyzed vegetable protein powder that has no taste to it, but apparently it imparts some taste to the feces that now makes it taste like we would think feces should taste like. Not good. So it's called Forbid, available online. I don't even think you need a, it's a, it's a supplement. You don't even need a prescription, but you could try that. You put it in the dog's food every day. Um, now, if you know it's your dog eating the other dog's food in the household, I mean, the other dog's poop in the household, and you got to put it in their food, not the dog's food, because it's not going to help. He's not eating his own. If the dog is only eating poop from outside, it's not going to help. So here's what you could do. On a walk is you want to make take a mixture of the hottest stuff you can find. And we're talking hot. Cayenne, wasabi, hot salsa, and not the mild. You get the hot. And mix it up and into a liquid and spray it and in a sprayer. And as you go walking, spray it on the feces that's left there. And then spray some directly on the dog's tongue. Your dog that's doing the coprophagia, that's doing the eating of other dog's stool or his own, spray it directly on the mouth. Okay, why? Because whatever you put it, wherever you spray it, it's going to lose some of its efficacy, some of that heat, if you will. So they need to taste it and smell it full strength. Then you go out first and you spray it on dog's poop that from owners who've left their dog's poop out there and didn't clean them up to their dogs, irresponsible owners. And then when the dog, your dog goes near that poop and either starts to taste it or it gets smells it, they go, I'm not going there. And that seems to help as well. It is, however, I will tell you in advance, a tough habit to break. So don't feel badly if it doesn't break right away. But anyway, that is my answer. So, but as I said, I'm not worried about the diseases like distemper, parvo, et cetera. Though I will tell you that parvo virus is shed in feces. So that's exactly, I should take that back. That is one that if you have a dog who likes to eat stool and a dog is shedding parvo virus, then yes, uh, that could be an issue. So again, it's, it's a habit. You want to just make sure you just make sure your dog is vaccinated well. And um, if it's vaccinated against parvo, it, it should be protected. So anyway, those are some of the things you can do. I have time for one more story. So let's go this. Understand that this that signs of cancer could be vague. And there's some things you should look at just to maybe recognize them early. So lymphoma, for example, one of the more common causes of cancer can be characterized by so many different things. First of all, the obvious swollen lymph nodes usually starts at the submandibulars in the neck and then go on from there. Also, it usually starts up at the neck area and then it goes to the what we call the prescaps, ultimately to the back cancer, the back lymph nodes called the popliteals, and those are the ones in the back legs. But if you have GI lymphoma or an other organ lymphoma, you may not see right away, but with GI, you might see vomiting, you might see diarrhea. So those are some of the things that could happen. So other lumps and bumps anywhere in the skin. So the bottom line is you don't want to stop checking your dogs. When you see a lump or a bump that just came out of nowhere, seems a little unusual, even if you're not sure, even if it's a fatty tumor, it's always best to have a check early because mast cells, for example, can start off as a little lump. And then, I mean, I don't know, you're going to see, I'm going to be posting a surgery I did last week of a dog named Mason who had these tremendous, huge tumors. And we went ahead and we eliminated all of them. This dog was in the shelter 
and it was actually going to be put to sleep. And as the story will, will tell, you'll hear about it. Uh, Wags and Walks, one of the rescues I work with, went ahead and pulled the dog, hoping that we can do something. And we did something. We removed the masses. The dog is doing great post-op. It was a very, very challenging surgery. We knew they were mast cells. Mast cells are very aggressive. We're going to follow up with some chemo. But it was, these are the, the cases that I kind of love because it was a lifesaver. This dog was going to be, unfortunately, a dead dog. And now we are giving it a chance. Hopefully someone will adopt it. And, but even, even if it's not adopted, it's going to be alive and it's going to, it's going to have a life. But I think it's a pit bull. Sweetest dog. He is so sweet. Even walking around four pounds of tumor, maybe three and a half pounds of tumor on him. And now they're all gone. And um, he feels it's a miracle. He feels so much better and he's doing great. So anyway, the bottom line is anything abnormal, a lump, a bump, a limp, anything that wasn't there, it's always best to have your pet seen sooner than later and at least rule out. You know, there is an advantage. Sometimes people say, you know, you do a test, you do a cytology, you do a biopsy, it comes back normal and you go, what a waste. I shouldn't have done it. No, you should have done it. The peace of mind, even a negative result, even a said that says, no, you're good. You have a sick dog and you take a blood test looking for things like pancreatitis or liver disease or kidney disease and everything comes back normal. What a relief. So just because the results are normal, you've learned a lot. And now you can sleep better at night knowing that things are okay. So, you know, I'm not one to rush into things. But again, sometimes when something is persistent, you try some simple things at home, it doesn't go away, then it's better to at least get an answer. And it'll just, I just said, give you peace of mind. Oh, one last thing. It's really interesting. Mosquitoes, worthless, right? They bite you. They, they spread heartworm disease. Well, now what they're finding is there are screening antibodies in mosquito stomachs that they can tell from their last meal what that animal may have. So they can test the blood from the mosquito stomach to see if there's any exposure from pathogens like toxoplasmosis, SARS-CoV-2. They picked up SARS-CoV-2 after biting a dog that the dog was carrying it for whatever, and probably could have had, its owners could have had it. So anyway, that's also pretty good. Uh, let's see, Lepto Canada, 8%. Oh, let's go back real quick. The risk of canine cancer, just basically try to minimize risk to some of the toxins exposure that might be causing cancer. Just simple things, smoke, chemicals, paints, all right? Spay neuter, using sunscreen to protect from skin cancer. So these are all simple things you can do to help your pets avoid getting cancer. Anyway, if you have any more questions, please send them to me during the week. Otherwise, we'll be here next week. Those of you on Pet Life Radio, you can reach me easily, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. You can also reach me, Dr. Jeff at DrJeff.com. Certainly Jeff at AirVet.com. And, and on Instagram Live, just send me messages. I will call you. If you would like to have a conversation, send me your number. I always have, will make some time. As I said, looking forward to seeing you next week. And please feel free. When you have questions, send them to me because if it's most of your questions are great and it, it gives me great content to follow next week because I trust me, every question you have, I can guarantee pet parents all over the place are having the same questions and can learn from it. We can all learn from each other. That is my goal. So have a great week, everybody. We'll see you here same time next week and uh, stay dry. If you're in a rainy area, stay warm. And I know there's snow a lot of places. We're getting snow already. So anyway, have a good week. Speak everybody goodbye. Let's talk pets every week on demand only on petliferadio.com.